0: Good afternoon, everyone. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the January 8th, 2024 regular meeting of the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, I'm Supervisor Myrna Melgar, chair of uh, the committee, joined by Board of Supervisors, President Aaron Peskin and Vice Chair, Supervisor Dean Preston. The committee clerk uh, today is John Carroll. Thank you, Mr. Carroll. Um, and I would also like to acknowledge Matthew Now from SFGup TV for staffing this meeting today. Mr. Clerk, do we have any announcements?
1: Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Please ensure that you silenced your cell phones and other electronic devices that you've brought with you into the committee room today. If you have any documents to include as part of the files upon which you comment, you should just submit them to me over the rail here up front of the meeting. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, please line up to speak along your right-hand side of the room. Alternatively, you may submit public comment and writing in either of the following ways. First, you may email your comments to me. I'm the Land Use and Transportation Committee Clerk and my email address is C-A-R-R-O-L-L at sfgov.org. Or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. The address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California 94102. If you submit public comment in writing, I will forward your comment to the members of this committee and I will include your comments uh, within the file upon which you are commenting. And then items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of January 22nd, 2024, unless otherwise stated.
0: Thank you, Mr. Carroll. Uh, please uh, call item number one.
1: Agenda item number one is resolution authorizing an agreement for the conditional exchange of vacant land located on Edge Hill Mountain for city's property on Paper Street areas near Moraga Avenue and Noriega Avenue, finding that the exchange agreement is a conditional land acquisition under CEQA guidelines to be uh, exempt surplus land under California Government Code Section 54. 54- Twenty-two-one F one C, and authorizing the director of property to execute documents, make certain modifications, and take certain actions in furtherance of the exchange agreement that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities of the city. Madam
0: Chair, thank you so much, Mr. Carroll. Um, colleagues, uh, this is an issue that. Uh, is a district 7 uh, issue uh, that has uh, predated me being supervisor by a good couple decades uh, if not longer um, I have been working with a community for the past three years to try to get some uh, resolution uh, to this uh, problem uh, we have a uh, on Edge Hill Mountain, the city owns uh, several acres of uh, open space that is maintained by uh, the Recreation and Parks Department, and some of the land is also owned by DPW. Um, it is not active recreation. It is a wilderness area. We have um, owls and hawks and squirrels and all sorts of critters who live on Edge Hill Mountain. And um, it is made of uh, something called uh, Franciscan chart, which is a very friable rock that is prone to landslides and has, in fact, slid down uh, many times uh, during the history of San Francisco. Um, so at the, uh, there are five developable lots, lots that we have said you know can be developed on, um, that are dangerous to develop on because uh, we know that every time someone's messed with that rock it slides down and there are many people living downhill from this mountain so uh, we have been uh, negotiating a swap uh, of this land so that we can preserve it uh, and add it to the open space that the city already owns there on that hill um, and also allow the folks who owned the land to develop housing elsewhere uh in district seven within you know a short Distance. So uh, for the past three years, I've been working with a community, with a group called CARES, Community Action to Rescue Edge Hill, um, and several uh, of the neighbors in the Greater West Portal area to come up with an agreement that will work with uh, the city and also with them, that will make folks whole, that will allow us to develop the housing that we need, and at the same time, not put people at risk for uh, a landslide of a mountain that we know is unstable and has shown to be unstable for decades. And so uh, we have uh, uh, the uh, Andrico Pennick here from the Department of Real Estate, if folks have any questions. Um, and also we have been working with the city attorney for the past three years. Now I just have to say that the process that we undertook uh, changed over the past three years uh, from when the time when we started working on it, because housing law in um, California has changed dramatically. So we had to go to the California Department um, of Housing to get permission. To, before we even introduced this legislation that's before you today and got their permission to do so uh, because we will be developing uh, housing elsewhere. Uh, we're not just preserving this for not you know, for not developing housing. So um, that is what's before you today. I do have several members of the public who are gonna testify. Uh, we have Ann Wei who has been uh, spearheading the campaign through CARES uh, and Elizabeth Meyer who's the president of CARES. Uh, as well as George uh, Berwasser, who is a geologist that we've been working with for many years uh, to support the effort. Um, so uh, with that, I will call uh, Anne first, or Elizabeth, okay. I'm sorry, uh, no, it's uh, just, just a presentation and then and then we'll do public comment. Yes, okay.
2: Where shall, I, where shall
0: I be? Right there where the microphone is.
2: Thanks, okay. Elizabeth. Okay, okay. So- Hi, I'm Elizabeth Mayer and I'm grateful for the chance to speak for care today. Um, care is sort of the end of five decades of effort to protect West Portal from the danger of building on this very steep rocky southwest face of Edge Hill Mountain. And uh, residents in the area know from history Edge Hill is stable, as Myrna Melgar just said, Edge Hill is stable until, excavation, which risks devastating soil and rock slides, especially in the area of past quarries, which is the case here. I I lived on Kensington for 20 years without a landslide until a small, deep test pit dug for a geotech study provoked two of them, one of which brought down a tree, crushing the Prius in my driveway. could have been kids in the front yard, or walking back and forth from West Portal School a block away, or cars passing. And as Supervisor Melgar just mentioned, we're we're all aware of the huge retaining wall collapse that buried knock ash houses to their second story windows. So luckily, San Franciscans remember and care about this kind of risk. Building department notices for a preliminary permit hearing went out 2019 and talk started and a week later 100 people shocked the planning department staff by showing up down, down there during work hours to voice their concern. Uh, care hosted a meeting on Edge Hill Mountain a couple months later that drew almost 200 people and over 300 residents signed a petition against building. 50 different neighborhood organizations have agreed with that stance, including Guapna, which is our fiscal sponsor, the Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods, the West of Twin Peaks Central Council, uh, also the Sierra Club, the San Francisco Housing Coalition, and the San Francisco Land Use Commission. So, To our minds, uh, these are the most pressing reasons to protect this hill from building with the property exchange agreement brought today by Supervisor Melgar, and we came here to ask you to approve it. Uh, We submitted more information into the record, along with some photos that we brought today, and I think sent online as well, including of the latest landslide, which was 2021 after the test pit, (laughs) And uh, now Ann will speak and then George. Thanks so much. Thank
0: you.
3: Good afternoon. Uh, my name is George Burwasser. I'm a professional, California professional geologist and practicing in San Francisco since 1981. Uh, License number 7151, I'm required to say that. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak before you supervisors today uh, to mention a few of the geologic aspects of Edge Hill Mountain that, uh, in my opinion, strongly favor preservation of this flank of the mountain and to request your positive consideration of the land swap resolution before you. First, I should say I do not live on Edgehill Mountain uh, nor on any of the adjacent or surrounding streets. Um, however, I have been involved in several construction and slope stability projects there since the mid-1990s. Uh, I use the open space it provides. Uh, I have volunteered with the Recreation Parks Department to clear trail and uh, plant trees in that open space. My point being that this is not just a neighborhood issue. This is a citywide concern. The uh, exposure of Franciscan Formation Chirt and Shale that's on this flank of Edge Hill Mountain is one of the very few left in the city that is easily accessible to ordinary pedestrians, and thus it's a valuable educational resource illustrating the geologic and structural history of the rock cord hills of our city. Much of the rock here, as is shown in the photographs that you have. Uh, is layered in beds a few inches to several feet thick. In some cases, it is very massive. Uh, It is a very hard rock, but it's brittle. Uh, It's compressed, crumpled, fractured into a series of folds that I think are quite picturesque, but uh, also reveal aspects of the tectonic evolution of the Pacific Margin, which has been going on for at least the last 100 million years. Uh, Additionally, the thin soil that forms on the chert and shale slopes supports a delicate plant community which is indigenous to the Franciscan formation. One of the really important points about the rock on Edge Hill Mountain was made very clearly by Mr. Frank Rolo, our preeminent geotechnical engineer, uh, when he said in a 2019 interview, left to itself, chert remains in place for a long time, Most of the unstable conditions are because of factors introduced by man. Now, previous quarrying on adjacent slopes has contributed to the instability of the flanks of the mountain. Road and building construction have repeatedly disrupted this hillside, resulting directly or indirectly in landslides, uh, as reported in the table at the end of your handout there, uh, which documents more than 50 years of known slope failures. And as mentioned by Dr. Mayer, the 20-year hiatus in major rock falls was ended by the resumption of excavation on the upper slopes of this uh, hillside. And regardless of the considerable internal strength of chert, when it's fractured, folded, and interlayered with weaker rock like shale, as it is on this hillside, it is subject to slope failures, which create safety hazards both below the slope through landslides and rock falls, and above it undermining the support of existing houses and roads. It is most stable when left undisturbed. Consequently, uh, Edge Hill Mountain and the city of San Francisco, in our opinion, will be best served by avoiding disruption of this hillside and assisting the developer to relocate any proposed construction projects to other more stable sites. Thank you for your attention. Dr. Ann Way will address you now.
4: Thank you supervisors for having me here to speak about safety issue for our neighborhood. My name is Ann Way. Kensington Way and Vasquez are both extremely narrow. As you can see on this photo here, that's me occupying half of the street. So currently, even with just houses on one side of the street, we have safety concern. Many of the houses on our street have the garages on the back of the house to alleviate traffic going through this street. Our street is important it connects to West Portal Elementary School and also many other schools in the Sunset District. Many parents do their pick up and drop off their kids. So imagine if we were to build houses on the very steep side of the street, there's gonna be traffic coming out from garages from, from both sides of the street perpendicular to the traffic going through. There's great danger for collision, let alone the walking pedestrians. And during construction, it's very likely with the significant excavation, we have to block the street. And if there's a landslide, which we heard from George, it's very likely to happen with the landslide, the street is going to be bound to be closed for years. Kensington is the direct pathway for emergency vehicles from Portola to neighborhoods like Edge Hill, West Portal, Forest Hill, and other local areas. Yes, it's true, these emergency vehicles, they can take other routes, but it takes longer time In an emergency, a person can turn brain dead in a matter of 10 to 30 seconds. A house fire can turn completely out of control in a matter of 30 seconds. So little time counts. So in our neighborhood meeting, when we had thousands I'm sorry, hundreds of our, I would love to have thousands, hundreds of our neighbors showing up, expressing their concerns. I remember there was a retired pediatrician neighbor who said something that really touched my heart. He told the developer, he said, sir, think about our children. Think about the safety issue. (coughs) and think about the serious consequence. So I'm here to ask you to please, to, to help us to not to let San Francisco become national headline for a tragedy that can be avoided. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Wei. Um, and before we go to a public comment, I just wanted to, you can sit down, thank you. Um, just to highlight that there uh, have been several uh, significant rock and landslides uh, in, on this hill in 1952, 67, 82, 95, and 97. Um, and the land that we are swapping for is currently a paper street uh, on between Laguna Honda and uh, Moraga um, that uh, is zoned for higher uh, density. So I think that we will be getting more housing uh, out of this deal and at the same time make the community safer. So um, I don't know if uh, my colleagues have any issues or questions. We do have uh, the city attorney and um, Mr. Pennick here for for any uh, questions uh, that you may have, um, I just want to add that you know, in according in accordance to state law, we did offer um, this uh, amount of land to nonprofit developers for the potential development of affordable housing. Uh, no one took us up on it because it's pretty small. It, you can't really make the numbers pencil out. Um, but, you know, that is what we had to do before we ask for HCD's permission to uh, introduce the legislation. So, uh, President Peskin.
5: Thank you, Madam Chair, and I've, I remember this over the last 20 years and previous iterations of uh, District 7 supervisors as well as some successful exchanges uh, that preceded this. Um, I just had questions about the conditions precedent probably to real estate And just want to understand that this is predicated on the rezoning of the Moraga street land from P to R and that it is the responsibility of Kensington to pay for and undertake any street vacations associated with it during, as a condition precedent. Do I have that right? Street vacation is these are paper streets that are owned by the city and the city has to abandon them that's a street vacation.
6: Good afternoon Chair Melgar, President Peskin, Supervisor Preston, and Pennick, Director of Property. Uh, President Peskin you are absolutely correct uh, this exchange is conditioned upon the, the conditions that you just mentioned.
5: So in essence this agreement will allow them to apply for a vacation on our property while we own it. I mean, normally, if you were applying for a, I mean, this is in essence a license for them to apply.
6: That's correct, basically it acts, I would like to think that it acts somewhat as like an option, that if they um, fulfill the conditions proceeding, they have the option for the exchange. The, the conditions preceding are at their cost, The city as owner will cooperate in those applications, but they have to carry those applications to fruition at their own cost. And if they do those things, then we will be contractually obligated for the exchange, but not before.
5: Got it. And the board would ultimately have to vote on that vacation at some point?
6: All of the discretionary approvals be subject to the normal process, including board approval. And CEQA. Yes. Yes, sir
5: got it so this is probably realistically a year plus out before any of that is fully accomplished
6: i would anticipate that yes sir
2: thank
5: you
0: so this is the beginning of the process got it (laughs) yes thank you no questions okay thank you uh so let's take public comment on this item please uh mr clerk
1: very good do we have anyone here who has public comment on agenda item number one if so please come forward to the lectern at this time Madam Chair, it appears we have no speakers.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, I would like to make a motion that we send this item uh, out of committee with a positive recommendation.
1: On the motion offered by Chair Melgar that this be recommended to the Board of Supervisors, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye, Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye, Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye, Madam Chair, there are three ayes.
0: Motion passes, thank you. We can talk later, (laughs) congratulations. Uh, let's go on to item number two, please, Mr. Agenda Clerk.
1: Agenda item number two is an ordinance amending the planning code to designate the Westwood Park entrance gateways and pillars located at the in, uh, intersections of Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard, Miramar, Miramar Avenue and Ocean Avenue and Judson Avenue and Kahlo Way, as a landmark consistent with the standards set forth in Article 10 of the planning code and affirming the appropriate findings throughout the ordinance.
0: Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, colleagues, uh, the Board of Supervisors initiating initiated the landmarking process for uh, the entrance gateways and pillars um, for Westwood Park. Uh, It has now been recommended unanimously by the Historic Preservation Commission. Thank you, Ms. LaValley, for taking that through. Um, I want to acknowledge the work of the Westwood Park Homeowners Association. Uh, Thank you for your work and for being here, um, for the board and neighborhood historian Kathleen uh, Batix uh on this landmarking effort we have very few landmarks in district 7 despite many charming historic elements that make neighborhoods like westwood park so architecturally unique Um, the landmarking is for the historic character defining elements of the entrance gateways Um, They're really archways is what they are in pillars. There's no gates involved. They can't be closed. It's just archways. Um, As requested by the committee, the staff report included a racial and social equity analysis. Uh, Thank you for raising those issues, Supervisor Preston. Um, Given uh, San Francisco history of racist covenants in the CCR, CNRs of many neighborhoods, including Westwood Park, um, which were removed by the HOA board The neighborhood over the years has changed and is uh, reflective of uh, many diverse households. This is the neighborhood where uh, former president of the board, uh, Supervisor Norman Yee lives. I will now uh, like to turn it over to Pilara LaValle, who's with us today from the planning department to share her report.
7: Good afternoon, Supervisors, Chair Melgar, Vice Chair Preston and uh, President Peskin. I'm Pilar Lavallee, Planning Department staff. I just have a couple of slides just so we um, have images of what we're talking about. Um, As mentioned, the Historic Preservation Commission reviewed this board-initiated landmark designation of the Westwood Park Entrance Gateway and Pillars at their hearing on November 15, 2023. The Westwood Park entrance gateway and pillars are landscape features in the public right-of-way of several intersections as shown um, in the red circles on this map um, in the lower right corner of the image. Um, these landscape features were built in 1916 based on a design by well-known architect Louis Christian Mulgart, um, who, built, who designed them uh, at the request of Baldwin and Howell, who were the developers of the Westwood Park neighborhood. At their public hearing, the Historic Preservation Commission heard public comments in support of designation and voted unanimously to approve a resolution recommending landmark designation of these landscape features, finding that they meet established eligibility requirements and that landmark status is warranted. Thank you for your, the opportunity to comment and I'm here if you have any questions, thank you.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Lavalley, and thank you for all your work. Um, I will, uh, invite Carol Karahadian with Westwood Park Homeowners Association to just present, thank you, welcome. Good afternoon and thank you for pronouncing my name correctly and it's not Kardashian.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Good afternoon, members of the Board of Supervisors. My name is Carol Karahadian and I'm here as a board member representing the the Westwood Park Association um, Board of Directors in support of the designation of the Westwood Park Pillars and Historic Landmarks. The Westwood Park Homeowners Association wholly um, supports the designation of the entrance of the pillars at Miramar Ocean, Miramar Monterey, and uh, Flood and Frida Kahlo um, as San Francisco Historic Landmarks. Our entrance pillars were designed by the renowned architect Louis Christian Mulgaard among the notable contributions to San Francisco, Melgar designed the 1912 Pan-Pacific International Exposition Court of Ages and the redesigned former De Young Museum, uh, Memorial Museum. Welcoming San Franciscans to a new master plan residence park neighborhood after the completion of the West Portal Tunnel, the pillars have stood for over a century. In 1996, the city of San Francisco officially designated Westwood Park as a residential character district, acknowledging its unique architectural and topographic features. Today, Westwood Park is one of the largest homeowner associations in San Francisco, with 685 homes populated by race and ethnicity that is very reflective of the citywide population, according to the 2020 um, census. Our neighborhood, located near College City College, continues to welcome new residents every month. The designation of Westwood Park Pillars will be a proud reminder of San Francisco's history and serve as an honorable landmark in District 7. We appreciate your consideration in our request. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Ms. Carl-Hydian. Um Mr. Clerk, if there's no questions, or there, here we go, uh, Supervisor Preston.
9: Thank you, Chair Melgar, um, and I, I appreciate the effort to recognize the historic significance of the Westwood uh, Park entrance uh, gateways and and pillars. Um, but as I mentioned, when the resolution initiating this um, process was before us last year, um, I am concerned with the uh, history of racial exclusion symbolized by this gate. And I fully understand and appreciate that things have changed in the community and, and who is allowed to live there and who lives there and and that this is much more of a cross-section of the community than historically but fundamentally this is a historical landmarking so I think the history uh, is relevant uh, I think as has been outlined for um, decades the the what uh, Westwood Park had legally binding obligations written into the deed uh, of properties including not just the single-family residency and Uh, other limitations but also racial restrictions that prohibited uh, non-white people from living and owning property (laughs) there. So I I understand those barriers are not there but I also think that this was, uh, that what we're looking at potentially landmarking was a symbolic barrier to the exclusion of people of color and this extended decades after the Supreme Court invalidated racially restrictive housing covenants um, and continued uh, in my understanding, through uh, until 1992. Um, so it is, I, I will say, it is a challenge for me to reconcile both the potential architectural significance, which I, I don't think is in dispute, with a gateway, and as chair as Elgar is pointing out, not, not an actual gate, but a gateway um, that served uh, as either as a practical matter or symbolically as a barrier to people of color being part of the community. So I do want to appreciate that the Planning Department acknowledged that history in the report. I know the Historic Landmarks Commission discussed that and and encouraged, some of the members encouraged, um, explicitly addressing that history um, and uh, normally try to defer uh, to district matters um, uh, to the district supervisor. But on on this, uh, I'm not prepared to support uh, the site as a historic landmark, and would also add that um, I think I think reasonable minds can differ on this. I, I don't, you know, sit in judgment of those who reach a different conclusion on this, and would just encourage if this does proceed that there be maybe some component of public education, whether by plaque or other uh, other public acknowledgement of that history and the changes the positive changes uh, that the community and the homeowners Association have worked uh, to to correct some of that uh, that history uh, those are my thoughts thank you
0: Thank you, uh, Supervisor Preston. Uh, I uh, before we go to uh, public comment, I'd like to just respond a little bit about a couple of the very salient issues that you brought up. Um, this neighborhood is now at least 30% Chinese, um, and it is on the Ocean Avenue corridor, uh, which is um, you know uh, African American neighborhood. Um, I think that, you know, the difference today and the reason I'm putting this forward for landmarking is because um, that neighborhood is owned by folks who look like me and my family now and Supervisor Yee and the folks who live there now. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that, you know, ownership in the present uh, while at the same time preserving uh you know, what's there, which makes us love the place. And and I agree, you know, uh, reasonable minds can agree to disagree. Um, but sort of from my perspective, as somebody who actually lives there in that neighborhood and who uh, has a lot of uh, care uh, for my neighbors that I have raised my kids with, um, I think that those of us who live there now, um, now, you know, own that neighborhood. That's our neighborhood, and uh, we uh, also want to acknowledge that there are uh, past uh, issues that have happened in this country, not just in this neighborhood, um, that have created exclusion and injustice for many folks. Um, and what we're trying to do now is um, own the neighborhood, take ownership of it, um, make sure that it's preserved, and that you know we are good to one another. So, but thank you, thank you for your comments. Okay, so let's uh, go to public comment on this item then Mr. Carroll.
1: Thank you, Madam Chair. Does anyone have public comment on agenda item number two related to the landmark designation for the Westwood Park entrance gateways and pillars? If so, please come forward to the lectern for two minutes.
2: Good afternoon, my name is Kathleen Badix and I am a 40 year resident of Westwood Park. And I'm just very briefly wanna tell you that I strongly support uh, this particular item, and I can guarantee you the majority, as far as I know, of uh, neighbors in Westwood Park also support it. We love the um, the uh, the pillars and uh, um, what are they called again, the portals, etc., and we wish that we had done this a lot earlier before the exact same... Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, uh, very artsy decorations on Ocean and Miramar had not been destroyed. So um, very quickly, um, just to let you know, there's a lot of strong support uh, for this landmarking. Thank you.
1: Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on this agenda item number two? Madam Chair.
0: Okay, with that public comment is now closed. (coughs) <coughs> Go ahead, Supervisor Preston. Yeah, I, I,
9: if you stand, I don't want to stand in the way of moving this to the full board. I, uh-huh. you know, I don't feel that I can support it, but, but if you want to send it without recommendation, I'm happy to vote for that, or uh, don't know do what that. a colleague, uh, it, or, or do it with. Yeah, let's
0: do it. I, uh, so uh, I'd like to make a motion that we send this forward to the full board uh, without a committee of recommendation.
1: On the motion offered by Chair Melgar that the item be forwarded to the Board of Supervisors without the recommendation of Land Use and Transportation Committee, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar. Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes.
0: Thank you. That motion passes. Thank you. Uh, Let's go to item number three, please.
1: Agenda item number three is an ordinance amending the existing building code to (coughs) require buildings with 15 or more stories to conduct and submit supplemental inspection reports that will focus on windows and exterior glass surfaces to identify any defective or damaged materials that may cause uh, glass failure and affirming the secretive uh, findings.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Clerk. Uh, This is your item, President Peskin, so the floor is yours.
5: Thank you, Chair Melgar and Supervisor Preston. This is one of two pieces of public safety legislation that are before us this afternoon and you will recall colleagues that after the major windstorm of March of last year, there were uh, over uh, a dozen um, window failures in downtown. Actually, some of them were not just in the downtown. They were as close as Fox Plaza right here near City Hall where uh, glass and high-rises failed and came crashing down to the sidewalks below. Thankfully, nobody was seriously injured. Um, At that time, uh, I got with the Department of Building Inspection to figure out what changes to code were necessary and came to understand that, uh, even though I've been around here for a quarter of a century and probably voted for this every three years, that we had a building code and an existing building code, which is actually titled Existing Building Code, which I thought was the building code, but it's actually a separate code for existing (laughs) buildings. which has a Section uh, uh, 5F that deals with um, the facade systems of buildings. Um, I want to thank Patrick O'Reardon and the Department of Building Inspection, uh, who (coughs) um, supported a piece of legislation that we passed unanimously that uh, gave the Building uh, Inspection Department the ability to conduct immediate inspections in the wake of those failures, Uh, and then uh, using the last days and hours of emergency authorization that existed uh, at that time, they went and undertook a report from WJE, which actually was rather interesting insofar as it showed that a disproportionate number of the failures actually were not in older typologies, but in newer typologies, and the way the existing building code was structured, which made sense, was that new buildings didn't require facade inspections for a long period of time after their initial certificate of occupancy, 30 years as a matter of fact. Um, The legislation before us today is for structures over 15 stories uh, that requires basically a visual inspection every five years, which is what the WJE report recommended. Um, And so, uh, that is the essence of it. It is recommended by the Building Inspection Commission. Carl uh, Nikita from the Department of Building Inspection can answer any questions that you have, um, but that it's all set forth really on page four relative to the timing. I want to thank Deputy City Attorney Rob Kapla for helping us sort through this um, and uh, create a definition of what a supplemental inspection visual inspection consists of, uh, and I am available and Carl is available to answer any questions that you may have.
0: I don't have any questions for Mr. Nesita. Did you have questions or comments? Thank you so much for uh, your work on this, for keeping us all safe, at uh, President Peskin. Um, with that, let's go to public comment on this item, please, M- Mr. Clerk.
1: Thank you, Madam Chair, if you have public comment on agenda item number three, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And Madam Chair, it appears we have no
0: speakers. Okay, well with that, at public comment on this item is closed.
5: And Madam Chair, the uh, amendments are deemed by our Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson to be non-substantive, so if we can take the amendments and send it to the full board with recommendation, that would be my motion.
1: Motion offered by member Peskin that the ordinance be amended and then recommended as amended. On that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Member Peskin, aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar, aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes.
0: Okay, that motion passes. Thank you. Congratulations. Let's go now to the last item, please. Uh, Mr. Clerk, number four.
1: Agenda item number four is an ordinance amending the fire code to provide fire inspection standards for the charging and storage of lithium ion batteries used in powered mobility devices such as electric bikes, scooters, skateboards, and hoverboards. Prohibit use of damaged lithium ion batteries in such devices. Prohibit use of lithium ion batteries assembled or reconditioned using cells removed from used batteries in such devices and to require the planning department, sorry, to re- require the fire department to conduct an informational campaign as well as affirming the appropriate findings throughout the ordinance.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we have uh, Ken Coughlin, our fire marshal, here with us today to uh, make a presentation.
5: And just by way of background before the fire marshal comes up, uh, colleagues, you voted on a earlier version of this uh, This is another piece of public safety legislation uh, in the wake of uh, an exponentially increasing number of battery-associated fires in San Francisco that have grown from 12 in the first year to 24 in the next year to 35 the year after that to 58 the year after that. Um, Fortunately in San Francisco, unlike New York's experience, we've only had one death. New York had over a dozen last year alone. Um, But we are a city with zero lot line and containing fires. These uh, lithium-ion fires can't be put out by the fire department. They have to be burned out. Um, And so uh, when we first heard this legislation, we had already accommodated some suggestions from Bay Wheels, uh, Lifts organization. Subsequently, when it got to the full board, lime came out of the woodwork relative to their electric scooters and we made some additional changes Uh, we then heard from some e-bike retailers and sent it back to committee i want to really thank uh fire marshal ken coughlin for um thinking about their suggestions for meeting with them for two hours over the holidays uh, and that resulted in a set of amendments that i would like to adopt today Um, But because they are still being socialized and thought about, um, I would like to then continue it to uh, our next available um, time and give uh, the public time to look at them, think about them, and if necessary, continue to process with the fire marshal. But I think what we have before us um, are some changes that uh, they're small, but they're important. Uh, and I'll just go through them. They exempt single and two- family home districts from the more rigorous storage and charging fire code requirements. Uh, if the devices comply with national or European uh, recognized safety standards, um, these amendments um, increase uh, that same exemption for uh, to four, devices per dwelling unit, garage, or storage area in multifamily buildings. It was previously uh, three, again, if the devices comply uh, with national uh, safety standards. It adds a definition of battery cabinets, which are another safe method of uh, battery charging and storage, and ensures that repair of these devices is conducted with appropriate separation uh, from the areas where lithium-ion devices are stored. Um, But with that, and there's, by the way, been state legislation that has informed some of this Senate Bill 712 is now law, uh, which sets out certain parameters uh, as it regards landlord-tenant relationships around the storage of lithium-ion devices. Uh, With that, uh, Mr. Coughlin, thank you again for your patience uh, in this process, and the floor is yours.
10: You stole my steam. Shoot. (laughs)
5: Chair Melgar, Supervisor
10: Peskin, Supervisor um, Preston, thank you. Um, Hopefully this is not too much deja vu. I'm going to kind of cover what I did before, and then I'll highlight what I consider some of the three most, uh, the biggest changes to the particular legislation. Um, Okay, so if they can put up the display. There you go. Somebody wants to help me out with this. I couldn't figure out how to separate the two. Looks like he knows what's going on. Okay. Okay. Um, Again, my name is uh, Ken Coffin, Assistant Deputy Chief, uh, your San Francisco Fire Marshal. Okay. E-bikes, e-scooters, and other powered mobility devices are an affordable and convenient alternative to cars and essential for delivery workers and other San Franciscans who rely on this mode of transportation for their livelihoods. This legislation is to improve the safety standards to those modes of transportation through public education and establishing standards. However, these new transportation options have also brought serious challenges to the fire service. Fires caused by batteries that power these micro-mobility devices are particularly severe and difficult to extinguish as they spread quickly and produce noxious fumes. Fires caused by batteries that power e-micromobility devices are a significant problem in San Francisco and keep growing annually. The new proposed legislation addresses these issues by One, establishing standards for the charging and storage of batteries, lithium-ion batteries, prohibiting the continued use of the damaged batteries, prohibiting the sale and purchase use or the assembly of reconditioned lithium-ion batteries using sales from used batteries. And finally, it requires the fire department to develop a public informational campaign teaching safe use of lithium-ion batteries. These standards, the standards established by this legislation promote safety by adhering to a few simple code requirements. Now this is with one of the changes. Number one, to ensure micromobility devices have been safely tested and is listed by a nationally recognized testing laboratory. Two, is to limit the number of powered mobility devices permitted to be charged and stored per occupancy type. One of the changes in this legislation since last time is for those that in a one and two family home will not be restricted in the number of devices, but they will need to ensure that the product they purchase is a listed, certified product. Also, the resident that has four or fewer devices in their dwelling unit of a multi-unit building will only need to take basic safety precautions of using an approved battery charger, inspecting the batteries before for damage before and after each charging, and limiting charging times per the manufacturer's instructions. This is an increase of one uh, micro mobility device per dwelling unit from the previous legislation. So let me explain some of what this legislation does. If a resident would like to to charge and or store five or more, five, listed microbial devices or batteries in the same room or area, then additional fire safety precautions must be made. These include ensuring adequate ventilation, having a separate electrical outlet per battery charger, ensuring minimum separation distances of both e-devices and batteries while charging to reduce the chance of fire spread if the batteries to fail, not using power strips or extension cords, having a larger than normal size fire extinguisher, and creating separate fire rated areas and rooms based on maximum allowable quantities found in the fire code or using approved battery charging cabinets. Additionally, a sprinkler system designed and installed for the actual fire load and number of batteries being charged, and finally, the installation of a fire alarm system with smoke detection. If the devices are not listed, these micro-mobility devices are not listed, then any number of powered mobility devices would need to comply with these requirements. If a business would like to charge and or store devices or just their batteries, then they should also comply with these requirements at any number. The increased safety requirements begin at five or more. That's when fire sprinklers, fire alarm, smoke detection, and fire (coughs) barriers are required. And as a modification of the original legislation, we have added an exception for retail locations where devices are sold, repaired and charged at the same location. The fire bearer will be allowed to be replaced with a 10 foot separation. As we understand that new mobility devices uncharged available for sale are not the problem. Three feet spacing is required between devices when charging is a complete unit. This number may be reduced based on the type of device and its listing. If during the visual inspection of a lithium-ion battery damage is found, then the battery must be taken out of service and recycled. Owners should not attempt to reuse or sell used or damaged batteries. Due to the complex construction of lithium-ion batteries and potential risk of unseeable damage to individual battery sales, reconditioned batteries shall not be used, sold, or assembled in San Francisco powered mobility device owners should only use new original manufacturers produced batteries or a different brand that has been listed and approved for that particular device. As part of this legislation, the fire department's fire marshal's office will develop a public information campaign on the fire risk and safety precautions that should be taken by owners of powered mobility devices using lithium ion batteries. These topics for the campaign will include adhering to manufacturers' maximum charging times, where to place the device while charging, which should be away from the exits, use of only original equipment, batteries, and chargers that came with the device, what to look for on a possibly damaged battery, and finally, how many devices can be charged and stored in individual dwelling unit. Thank you for your time, and I'm available for questions.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Marshall, for at the presentation and for all your work thank you president peskin uh for these amendments as i was already out of compliance with the original legislation at my home (laughs) um so i uh want to make sure that we preserve our precious old uh, rental housing stock uh, with uh, buildings you know build lot line to lot line um that's really important to keep uh, people safe and our buildings safe. Um, At the same time, I'm really eager for folks to adopt uh, e-bikes instead of cars, uh, since I have done that myself. Um, And I want it to be easy and available. So uh, I have to say that having an e-bike has totally transformed my transportation life um, because I live on the other side of a few uh, very tall hills uh, with the wind uh, going against me as I'm riding up the hill in the afternoon after spending a long day at work Um, and every day I see more people on e-bikes particularly young parents with cargo bikes and the kids in the back and so um, I yeah thank you Um, I think it's really important that, you know, uh, we do the public education uh, that uh, keeps folks safe. um, And at the same time that, you know, we do the public education uh, to make sure that people understand that this is a viable option uh, and not so scary that it's gonna burn down your house. So I think it's you know both and. Um, so I am appreciative of the efforts. I wanna make sure that we listen to the folks who are promoting this as a transportation option uh, so that it works for them. Uh, because I do wanna see a greater adoption in a city that is only seven by seven square miles. I think that we should be getting around more with uh, less dependence on uh, burning carbon. So I think it's a really good thing. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know if anybody has any questions or comments before we go to public comment. Okay, so I know there's a few folks here for public comment on this item. Thank you, Marshall Coughlin.
1: If you have public comment on agenda item number four, please come forward to the lectern at this time. And if you're waiting for your opportunity to speak, just line up along the wall there that I'm indicating with my left hand. And when you're ready, please come forward.
11: Happy New Year, supervisors. Good to see you all again. My name is Cyrus Hall. I'm a sustainable transportation advocate here in the city. I want to thank you for this ordinance. It's important that we move forward on making sure that we do not have fires uh, and, um, uh, in the worst case, deaths stand in the way of moving forward on mode shift. Uh, at At the same time, I want to bring up a couple of concerns of the current amended version today. Uh, First of all, I'd love if this bill was better aligned with SB 712. As you mentioned, Supervisor Peskin, uh, SB 712 uh, set out how the state sees uh, the number of devices storaged in uh, multifamily dwellings, one per uh, resident in the dwelling. Um, That's appropriate for larger families, and especially when you have lots of roommates living together, that's important, and four may limit adoption there. I'd recommend that if all devices are UL compliant, that it be one per resident in the dwelling. Uh, Two, uh, as amended today, I don't see a path forward for people who own non-compliant devices. Uh, Many low-income people have purchased uh, e-mobility devices in the city in order to get around the city, in order to work, do delivery, et cetera. Uh, and many of them live in multifamily housing, and it's not clear where they are to store those devices or if they're just expected to get rid of them and buy new devices, which they probably cannot afford. I would love for the city to make sure there's a path for people who mistakenly, without knowing, bought devices that uh, you know are not going to fit under this regulation so that they have a path forward here and don't just go back to driving uh, around the city. Um, finally, uh, I would ask that we make sure that whatever ordinance we pass is aligned uh, with reasonable considerations around commercial uh, maintenance uh, and sale of these devices. Uh, I think there's already a lot of good progress being uh, put into the new amended bill there, but just let's keep working forward on that. Thank you very much, have a great day.
1: Thank you, Cyrus Hall, for sharing your comments with the committee. Can we have the next speaker, please?
12: Hi, good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. My name is Clara Mable. I'm the Director of Advocacy at the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. I would first like to thank you, President Peskin, for your leadership taking up this important issue and for making amendments to the original ordinance after hearing feedback from constituents and stakeholders. Getting people out of cars and onto active transportation or public transportation is fully in line with our city's climate and sustainable transportation goals, from cargo bike parents to the gig workers delivering on e-bikes. And students getting to school on electric scooters, e-bikes, and e-mobility have expanded the way people across all demographics get around our city streets conveniently and sustainably. The San Francisco Bicycle Coalition understands unsafe lithium-ion battery maintenance or poorly constructed materials can pose real fire safety hazards. We have been working to educate our membership and members of the public about safe usage for some time and welcome regulations that clarify and codify safety standards. In addition, We have worked alongside other stakeholders like the New Wheel and KidSafe SF to come up with additional amendments for this ordinance Um, in addition to what Cyrus just said that include a reduction from 3 feet to 12 inches between charging UL or similarly certified devices, a removal of limitations on the numbers of UL or similarly certified devices in group R2 occupancy below what the state currently allows. In the case of non-UL or EN certified devices in multifamily, housing, maintain a limit on devices based on input from stakeholders, and lastly, that the Department of Environment lead the public awareness campaign with support from the fire department to balance safety messaging with encouragement to safely adopt these climate-friendly modes, excuse me. These amendments can be found in your inboxes. Uh, thank you again, President Paskin, for your leadership on this issue and to the rest of the committee for your support. We believe the ordinance will be stronger with our proposed amendments and will not ca- cause unintentional consequences. Thank you so much for moving uh, to continue this item so these changes can be considered. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Clara Mobley for sharing your comments to the committee. Do we have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number four? Please come forward. And I'm noticing now, just to mention the audio klaxons for the nearing of the end of public comment time are not ringing right now. So when we reach two minutes, if you're still speaking, I will have to interrupt you.
13: Yeah, that's fine. So So I'm Cash, uh, owner of Warm Planet Bikes. Um, And how things have changed. 40 years ago, when we started the Bicycle Coalition, the supervisors did not know there were bicycles. Now you ride them. So I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. It's a good thing. We're going to make all the e-bikes work great, and I don't think we need any help pushing it because people know what a good thing when they see it. They just buy cheap things, and those cheap things are dangerous. Um, We need fire safety. My concerns are engineering and human behavior. Um, There are two issues. One is the minimum distance between bikes. Three feet is unrealistic and doesn't match the physical capacity of a space to hold a bicycle. Bicycles are on like 10 to 12 inch centers if you put them back to front in standard racks. The second issue is the breezing over of um, extension cord use. Extension cords, let me go through this, sorry I wrote it all down. Um, A charger is a charger is a charger. It has an amp rating Printed right on the case, match the cord to the load and the setup is safe, end of story. This is an entirely separate issue from battery fires. They don't connect at all. I have a 1500 watt, 12 and a half amp amp heater that I use in my house. When I plugged it in with a little tiny extension cord, the cord got hot. So I went down to the big box store And I looked at the ratings on the outside of the cord that said, oh, this one's 13 amps. This one's 15 amps. If the amp rating handles the load, the cord is safe. Yes, there's a lot of other issues. And yes, if you're doing it permanently, yes, you should put in another outlet. But the reality is,
1: okay, I'll skip to the chase. Speaker's time is concluded. I'm sorry, Cash, to cut you off. We have to move on to the next speaker if there are any.
13: Okay. Okay. May I submit written com- comment to you all? Okay. Yes, thank you. Do we
1: have anyone else who has public comment on agenda item number four?
13: Madam Chair.
0: Okay, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment on this item is now closed. And
2: Supervisor Chair,
5: I will assure Cash and Brett from uh, New Wheel that we will convene another, if not multiple meetings to figure our, our way through this. Uh, there, there are, some, uh, this is not easy, Um, and it is, first of all, as I said at our meeting the last time this was in committee, the education component is key because the reality is the fire department, no department, is going to enforce 90% of this. I mean, if you're dragging one of these things into your house and it's not UL tested and it's dangerous, uh, you're gonna do that. I mean, it's not like Ken Coughlin's gonna knock on, you know, (laughs) 200,000 doors in San Francisco. (laughs) Um, which is why the educational component is so important. Uh, What started me on this was at a distance I was, you know, watching what was happening in New York, and there was one particularly tragic story in the New York Times about a guy whose spouse said, don't bring that thing in here, and uh, it was a non-UL tested uh, scooter, and he was a, you know, gig exploited worker, and, you know, he lost his child for that um, because it, Thermal runaway, and there went the unit. Um, So the part of, because San Francisco is very different from the rest of the state of California relative to its density and multifamily design, SB712 is much more suburban in its thinking. So that, so my my inclination as a lawmaker is to defer to my expert advice from the fire marshal. So you know, if you have a hundred-unit building that has three hundred people in it, having three hundred devices in it that don't have to be put in a rated storage room, probably not a good idea. So that's how we were. We went from three to four because the fire marshal said we could do that and be safe it wasn't because you have four bikes (laughs) um but so uh, so we've got to figure out how to do this it is my belief that over time the industry internationally is going to weed out the bad actors (laughs) um and you know we this, this happened in the hovercraft thing everybody's hovercraft were you know like blown up on the streets and Uh, they were getting dumped on this country and, you know, people were burning and it's kind of right size itself. Uh, Cash assures me that in a few years we're going to have sodium ion batteries that are not subject to thermal runaway. And this will be an antiquated part of the fire code. It's just between now and then I want, you know, multi-alarm fires that spread from one unit into whole buildings, down blocks, et cetera. It's a town very dense made of wood. So, Uh, We're going to try to find that sweet spot in the next couple of weeks, um, and I'm going to try to fairly balance between the expert advice I get from our fire experts and what uh, is the best, most economical fit for uh, e-bike retailers and wholesalers and the like. Um, I think we've gotten it right for uh, the limes and the bay wheels, and now we're down to some issues and I get the spacing thing is real I mean three feet you know is a big distance in a small space uh and but uh I don't want one device setting off another device so we'll we will noodle our way uh through
0: thank you Supervisor Preston
9: thank you Chair Melgar I, I really just wanted to um thank uh, President Peskin for how uh you've approached this and just you know it's uh I think there, especially a lot of stuff coming out of this committee, uh, sometimes when you take the time to get it right, you get uh, criticized as if you're not in favor of the end goals of the legislation. Um, And, uh, you know, I won't go into details, but, uh, you know, but I do think this was before the board. I think I was proud to be a co-sponsor of it. I think many of us were supportive, poised to, Uh, probably pass it with no problem but then issues were raised you know and I think that's not always it's not a common thing you know for us to send things back to committee make sure we get them right in this case I think it's really important I think a lot of the issues that have been raised the amendments that you've been working on with guidance and leadership from the department is, is really important here and I say this as a supervisor in a district in San Francisco where uh, a man died and found on site in the film war was it was a battery that is you know a scooter that you know that is, is uh, suspected uh, as possible cause here so it, you know it there's there is both an urgency to pass legislation um, uh, but also a real need to get it right and to make sure that as chair melgar points out that we are not inadvertently discouraging what we want to through our a whole other set of goals around uh, green transportation in San Francisco, right, that we're not undermining that. So I I just want to express my appreciation to, to you for working with all stakeholders and taking the time to get this right. Thank you.
5: Madam Chair, I'd like to make the amendments that are before us and continue this item. I know that we have no meeting next Monday because it is MLK day and the 22nd, you have a full agenda. So the 29th of January, which will give us the month of January to figure this puppy out. Thank you, Fire Marshal Coughlin for your patience.
1: Motion has been offered by Member Peskin that the ordinance be amended and then continued as amended to January 29th on that motion, Vice Chair Preston. Preston, aye. Member Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Chair Melgar? Aye. Melgar, aye. Madam Chair, there are three ayes.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, Do we have any other items on our calendar? There is
1: no further business.
0: Thank you so much. This meeting is adjourned.